Hello and welcome to the Highway to Health show. I am your host, Dr. E, the stem cell guy. For this episode, I made a decision to run again an interview that I shared with you last year. I feel like the entire world right now is going through a very difficult and unique time, one which is putting the entire fabric of our society to the test. There's an obvious health challenge, but there's also a very important economic component to it. People are losing their jobs and their sources of income left and right. They're not able to feed their families or support themselves. And not only that, but we're also experiencing important challenges in regards to racial inequalities, which have spurred protests and violence. And all in all, we're at a time of really social unrest in general. People are confused, scared, angry, and very susceptible. There's a clear lack of leadership and truth. But most importantly, there's a very, very marked lack of love. Love for one another and love for ourselves. And that's exactly what I had discussed back in September with Udo Erasmus and the reason why I wanted to run this interview again today. If you don't know Udo, you're in for a treat. He is a health entrepreneur, author, and educator. He has taught alongside Tony Robbins and Deepak Chopra, just to name a few. Udo first pioneered the use of flaxseed oil and the healthy fats movement when he invented the machinery that extract these oils, as well as for probiotics and enzymes. This led him to found Udo's Choice, a decades-old staple in the health and wellness community. More recently, though, his focus on healthcare is based in nature and human nature, which led him to the concept of total sexy health and the thirst of the heart, which is exactly what we explore in this conversation. Stick around to learn how love is what we are missing in our quest for real-world peace. If you're tuning in for the first time, welcome to our show. Make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode. New episodes come out every Wednesday. And for everyone else, welcome back. Before we go on to today's interview, let me remind you that this show is sponsored and produced by another one of my companies, podcastinabox.co. I came up with the idea for Podcast in a Box after I realized that, well, I had been meaning to start a podcast for two years and just kept putting it off. I had already spent a couple thousand dollars in courses and I was in forums and Facebook groups for podcasting. I had read two books about it and basically had been quote unquote learning how to do it while not actually doing it. If that sounds at all familiar to you and you are tired of seeing so many new podcasts come up and yours is still just an idea, then Podcast in a Box might be exactly what you need. Our team at Podcast in a Box can handle anything and everything that has to do with planning, launching, editing, publishing, and marketing your podcast. We can do as much or as little as you need for us to do to finally get your podcast going and getting you the attention of your ideal audience. To find out more and see if your idea is worthy of a podcast, just head on over to podcastinabox.co and click on the appropriate button. When prompted, make sure to mention Dr. E's Highway to Health show and the How Did You Hear About Us section. But now, let's get to it. Here is my conversation with Udo Erasmus. And remember, you are on the Highway to Health, and I'm your guide to get you there. Are you ready to live ageless? Want to discover alternative health choices, cutting-edge nutrition, and fitness for the entire family? Welcome to Highway to Health Show with your host, Dr. E, the stem cell guy, where Dr. E helps you live ageless. And now, here's your host, Dr. E. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this very special episode of the Highway to Health Show. 
Joining us today is none other than Udo Erasmus. Udo is a pioneer of the health and wellness industry. Among his many achievements, he was the first to extract flax oil, and he started the Healthy Fats Movement. He's also the co-founder of Udo's Choice Supplement brand, which has sold tens of millions of bottles of healthy oils, probiotics, and digestive enzymes. And as if that wasn't enough, Udo's an accomplished author, including the book Fats That Heal, Fats That Kill, that has sold over 250,000 copies worldwide. And I could keep going on and on about Udo and his accomplishments, but it would not leave a lot of time for a conversation. Instead, I'll let him do the talking. So, Udo, why don't you say hi to our audience and share a little bit more about you and your health journey? Hi, audience. My health journey began actually very early. When I was six years old, I started thinking about, because I came out of the Second World War in Europe, and people were arguing about really stupid, trivial things, I thought, as a six-year-old. And it occurred to me that there must be a way that people can live in harmony, and I'm going to find out how. So that was the beginning of my journey. And in order to find out, because there was very little I felt I could rely on because it was chaotic. We were refugees when I was running from the communists in tanks and trucks. And the Allies were shooting at us from planes onto the roads on which we were fleeing. And they knew we were refugees. So I grew up kind of like, well, you know, who can you trust? What is solid? And there wasn't that much. So I got into science to figure out how things work. Then I got into biosciences to figure out how creatures work. Then I got into psychology to figure out how thinking works. And eventually I realized, you know what? I actually need to know how I work. So I got into self-knowledge to figure out how I work. That's basically is my background. I got into the physical part of health after I got poisoned by pesticides in 1980. And the doctors couldn't help me. So I was left to my own devices. Because I had the background, I said, I'll figure it out. And I got into the journals and, and looked at health and disease and nutrition because the body's made out of food, water, air, and light. That's it. And if we want something to improve, then that's where we need to make better choices. And so I got into the fats area because they're the most neglected part of nutrition. They're the most sensitive nutrients and need the most care, but get the least care because we fry everything. Frying is the worst thing we ever invented to do with our health. And my slogan is, fried oils, fry health. I get audiences to chant that with me. Fried oils, fry health, fried foods, fry health. From that, I got into inspiration because people won't make changes if they don't feel inspired. Because it's about energy, right? And if you're not inspired, then you're usually in your mental and habitual ruts. And it's really hard to climb out of those. So with information, there needs to be inspiration. And if people are inspired and they feel life is good, because that's when you're inspired, that's what it feels like. Well, then you make the changes you need to stick around. But if you're depressed, you won't make any changes. Why look after yourself? Life is crummy anyway. And if you're depressed enough, sometimes people kill themselves. So if you want to make changes in a society or in a person, you have to be able to inspire them. And so that became really important. And then I wrote a book called The Book on Total Sexy Health, The Eight Key Parts Designed by Nature. And there we go into awareness and life energy and inspiration and the physical body and then survival smarts, social group, environment, and big picture because everything affects health. So if you want the best life possible, 
You have to be fully present in all of your being on all those levels at the same time and your surroundings. And the one place where you're not going to be is lost in thoughts in your head. That's the short word. And now that you touched upon it, that is one of the things that from reading your books and from the kind of work that you do and speaking with Tony Robbins and with Deepak Chopra and doing all these different things, how you're inspiring others really to change their lives in so many ways. I really like that overall encompassing holistic approach to health and to really us as human beings, because that's really the only way to encompass the whole thing. You know, as Western medicine has been specializing further and further into smaller and smaller areas, we tend to try to compartmentalize everything that happens. And in reality, the more specialized that we become, I mean, I used to do just stem cell treatments clinically. And the more we realized and the more we looked into it, we noticed that you still need to address the human being as a whole. And you still need to look at nutrition and lifestyle and avoiding toxins and eating well and doing all these different things. So I really, really appreciate your holistic point of view. And you've been saying this for literally decades. And how does it actually feel for you who's been doing this for almost 40 something years since the 80s that you got poisoning and started doing your own research? Because doing research back then wasn't like now that you could just Google, right? No, no, I had to go to the library. I spent days in the library digging in actual books that were on the shelves, digging them out and going through them and reading this research. You know, the reading is still the same, but I can do it from home. I don't even have to put on my underwear to go on Google. Exactly. And when you started talking about all these things, how does it feel for you to look at the world I feel like we're at a point where we're starting to turn a corner and we're starting to embrace this. So how does it feel for you that the rest of the world is finally catching up to it? We're turning a corner, but one thing, it's very interesting. Like there were these people who were called masters, Buddha and Krishna and Christ, and there's a bunch of them, right? They always said, what you should put first is to be fully present in all of your being. And they said it in different ways. And they taught the people who followed them, how to do that. And they were teachers of human nature because they were fully present in theirs. So they knew what they were talking about when they were talking about all of these issues. And they always said, put that first. And then if you put that first, everything else will fall into place. You know, and Socrates did it too. He said, know thyself. He didn't say know everything but thyself. He said, know thyself. And the unexamined life is not worth living. So why didn't he say, know everything but thyself? That's what we do. So what everybody who is wise, who has ever lived on this planet has said, put that first, we've always put it last. And we're now in a place where because we haven't put it first, but we've put it last, we're messing up the environment where politics is completely screwed up. Our minds are crazy. Our relationships don't work. Our health is going down. And finally, when we run out of stupid distractions to pursue, we're now having pressure because nothing is working to actually take on as our last resort what all the wise people said should be our first resort. And guess what? It still works, even when you put it as a last resort. But we could have saved ourselves a lot of craziness if we had put it first. But, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. 
but we are now under pressure for things to change because everybody looks around and says, you know what, the way we're doing it, it can't go on like that. And we always wanted everybody else to change, but not ourselves. But now we're up to the point where we're saying, you know what, if I don't change, nothing is going to change. And the only place where I can make change, make changes, is in myself because I can't force you to change, but I can choose to change myself. Yeah, that's when they say things like control the controllables. And really, the only controllable is what we think and what we decide to do for ourselves. Or where we decide to focus our awareness. Now, is this what you call the thirst of the heart? Is this kind of like part of that concept? Because I've heard you talk about this. Yeah, okay. Let me talk about thirst of the heart. There is something in us that is restless and feels empty. or feels like we lost something. And we did. We lost our focus of our awareness on the awareness that is the core of our being, out of which comes life, out of which comes the body, out of which comes everything else. And we feel content and fulfilled and whole and rich only when we bring our awareness to the place where that begins in us, in our core. When we were in our mother's womb, I call it the Buddha tank, because in that place, we were just floating. There was nothing to do. There was nowhere to go. It was safe, mostly, right? We just hung out with our awareness in its source, inside, in life. And then when we came out, we had to get to know the world. So our awareness went out through our senses. What's that? Listen to that. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful, right? Oh, don't hit me. You know, so we did all the stuff that we had to learn to get along in the world physically. And in that process, our awareness went from being present inside but absent outside to now being present outside but absent inside. And when we disconnected from our inner connection, that's where thirst of the heart came from. That thirst of the heart is to feel whole, to feel one, to feel fulfilled, to feel complete, to feel loved. All of the good stuff that we're looking for, we have in the core of our being sitting there waiting for us to come home to it and to enjoy it. And the thirst of the heart is a starting point because it aches. Your heart aches and you feel it in your chest and it has nothing to do with your plumbing. It's not physical. It's just there's a feeling of blue, lonely. I've got 10 pages of different words people use for that, for that feeling. And in no culture do I know, as a culture, is that feeling addressed. You know, we know where to go when our colon is full. We know where to go when our bladder is full. We know what to do when we're tired. We know what to do when we're horny. We know what to do when we're hungry or thirsty but we don't know what to do with the ache of the heart. And it is the single greatest gift we've been given other than being alive because that is our starting point for the journey back to our wholeness, the journey back to our magnificence. Every human being has that magnificence. Every human being feels that thirst, although they call it all kinds of different names, and we tend to misidentify the source of it, because we think it's about something out there, when it's actually our loss of ourselves that created that ache. But then when a distraction stops that we've gotten into, then we're back to that. It's funny, grandma died, 
She died perfectly. No problem. I've got the problem. Right? Why is that? Because it's not about grandma. It's because when she died, I fell back to my original problem, which is my disconnection to myself, for which she became a substitute. Right? And when this is full and grandma dies, you remember her with fondness and with love and with kindness. And you know that everyone who checks in will have to check out. So you're going to miss her, but you're not going to be beside yourself with grief because most of the grief that we go beside ourselves about is the grief of our loss, of our connection to ourselves. When that gets reconnected, everything on the planet is doable. And until we get connected, we will not fix the problems on the planet. I see. Is that also kind of like the reason why you see so many people and so much dissatisfaction? And I feel, I don't know if it's just because now we're learning more about this, because we're hearing more about other people, kind of like social media and all these different places. But is this also part of the reason why people keep looking outside for validation? Because we have forgotten that ability to look inside of us. And we tend to make other people's journeys, our own goals. And we tend to internalize what they're doing. And oh, so if I want to do this, I need to do it at that level, or I need to do it this exact same way. And you see so many people, I've had so many people here in the show talking about pursuing a specific goal, whether it was becoming a doctor, becoming a lawyer, or getting an MBA or doing this or doing that. And then when they realize that they had it, they're like, is this it? Yeah, those are all distractions, like our professional goals. It's a distraction because I hope that if I make a million dollars or I become a famous doctor or I land the right girl, then somehow I will feel taken care of. And it never happens because the care is already in me. It's just that I'm not looking where it is. I'm looking elsewhere. And so these are all, that's what I call substitutes. These are all substitutes for getting back in touch with ourselves. After that, you can still have the girlfriend and you can still be a doctor and you can still be a millionaire, but you be doing it because you feel rich, because you feel whole, because you're attractive when you're not always needy, right? All those things will come easier and you'll have more fun because you won't put the burden of your wholeness onto somebody else or onto something else because that's crazy. You know, if you put that on a relationship, I mean, I can tell you my original relationship, right? I saw the love in her. She saw the love in me. I didn't see it in me. She didn't see it in her. I expected to get it from her. She would complete me. She thought I would complete her. And then when it came into the relationship, she couldn't get in touch with the love in her to bring it out. And I couldn't get in touch with the love in me to bring it out. Well, then where the hell is the love in the relationship supposed to come from if neither person can get to it? So what I say now to people is, look, you're not ready for a relationship until you have committed to a relationship with your own life. Because when you're fully present, then you can be a good husband and a good father and a good person and a good worker. But if you're not in touch with yourself, you're always going to try to take something out of those situations rather than saying, hey, I feel taken care of. So let me just see how I can help. And that's the difference between being fulfilled and not fulfilled. If you're unfulfilled, you're always going to try and take things to fill yourself up. And it's not going to work. And you're going to be dissatisfied. And you're going to continue to be unfulfilled. And when you finally take your awareness home, 
the prodigal son returns home to where the love has been waiting for him the whole time, right? When you go to that place, it's like, oh, I'm taken care of. And if I don't feel taken care of, I know where to go to feel taken care of inside. Well, now that I'm taken care of, it doesn't all have to be about me anymore. Where can I help make it better for everything? So then it makes sense to clean up the environment. And then it makes sense to help mom with the kids, right? And then it makes sense that people with different opinions get together with respect for themselves and then respect for each other and then sort out their differences so they can make the country work, right? And then when you have disagreements, you don't immediately drop bombs on everybody. That's insane. That's mental illness. War is mental illness, right? Why? Because we're filled with love and we're filled with care and we just block it off and then we go and do things that are completely unjust. You know, there are no just wars. I knew it early because I was two when the communists were chasing us and the allies were shooting at us. Both sides of the war I'm not impressed by. And the idea is, well, we're right and they're wrong and, well, we did it because of this. No, that's all BS. That's all BS. You know, and what the pressure on us is, if you put one person in control of 300 million or 36 million or however many there are in the country you live in, you put one person in control and you don't put yourself in control, at least of your part of that country, and become the prime minister or the president of your life, your sphere of influence, then you're neglecting what you need to do in order for your country to work, right? And the head of the country is only one person. He can only pick up one shovel. But if you've got to pick up 36 million shovels to straighten out your country, he can't do any more than you can. And the rest of us just blah, blah, blah. Maybe he can inspire people to pick up shovels. That's the best job a head of state can do. But, you know, a lot of them are corrupt and a lot of them just milk the population and enrich themselves. And that's more and more prevalent everywhere. And ultimately it goes back to there's 8 billion people who could live their lives lit up from within, be self-responsible for their sphere of influence, do what needs to be done to create the kind of country they want to live in, in their sphere of influence. And when 36 million people in Canada, where I am, do that, you're thinking, what kind of a country is that going to be? Living lit up from within, in harmony, because when you're lit up from within, light's already there. When you feel it, when you see it, you don't steal other people's stuff. So then we can live together in harmony. And then when we live together in harmony, making sure that everybody's basic needs are taken care of on a long-term sustainable basis is actually really easy to do. But until we feel taken care of, we are not going to clean up the environment. We are not going to clean up the politics. We are not going to clean up the relationships. We are not going to clean up our own health. And we're going to basically, you know, we may not make it to the end of the century. Now, do you think that these things are happening as, you know, you just talked about jealousy and thirst for power and all these different things. Do you think those are happening because as individuals, are these signs that people are failing to find happiness, that they're blocking their own joy, as you describe at some point? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say that they're blocking it. I would say that they lost it when they came out into the world. 
And there's nothing that recommends us to go back to that. We could go to school and have a course on how to sit still and bring your awareness inside. And we could be practicing that from childhood on. But there is no course like that in school. So we didn't learn that. The going away from ourselves is automatic because we have to get to know the world. Coming back has to be deliberate. But most people don't know that yet. And so what they do is they pursue one thing after another. I've talked to billionaires. They're not any different than the poor people. They're discontent. And then they come up with some big deal thing they're going to do. And there's always the hope that when they succeed, they will feel okay. And what happens is maybe they'll spend 10 years, 20 years creating this huge thing. And then they're successful. And then for three days, they go, yay, I did it. And after that, they feel let down again, or they feel depressed again, or they feel restless again. So then they say, well, I must have not thought big enough, or I must have thought in the wrong direction. So let me do this. And then again, that same thing starts. The hope is when I succeed, I will feel taken care of. And when they succeed, they get their three days of yay. And then they're back again. And these are all people, whether you're talking about murderers or terrorists or heads of state or people who make a ton of money or athletes or adventurers. I mean, literally every human being or people who are looking for a husband or a wife, pretty much everybody's trying to look for what they lost inside to be fulfilled on the outside. And it doesn't work. Yeah. We start thinking of happiness, of joy or fulfillment as a destination. As long as I can get to X, then I'll be happy. I'll be fulfilled. And we fail to realize that it's within us, right? Yeah. It is a destination, but except you don't have to take the journey because you already live at the destination. You just got to bring your awareness. Not very far. It's like that far. From the ache to the fulfillment is that far. That far. You can't even measure it, right? Just right behind the ache is what you're looking for. But it's in you. It's not outside. It's in you. And so the turnaround is from going out for that, looking this, here, looking there, got to have this, get, 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 take, 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 is to bring it inside. And then you go, ah, finally, I have what I've been looking for all my life. Okay, well, now what? Now what? Oh, I want to help. I want to help. Whatever, wherever I can help, I want to help. Why? Because I'm okay. I don't need anything more. You know, I mean, you still got to eat a little food and all of that. But that's all simple stuff, right? That's all simple stuff. There's plenty of food on the planet. There's plenty of water. You know, if we stop putting our sewage in it, you know. So there's lots of water, food, air. It's all there if we're not wrecking it by our technology. So it's there. The needs that we have are simple. But enjoying life is really the goal. Because if you don't enjoy your life, why take care of anything? If you don't enjoy your life enough, people kill themselves. So what does it take to feel whole and fulfilled? Because when you live in the light, you're ecstatic. Nobody in a moment of ecstasy kills themselves. I gave a talk on peace once because peace is also in the core of your being. And this woman asked a question. She said, you know, with all this peace that you're talking about, I hope you're also against violence against women. It's like, wow, that's a good question. Because I said to her, I have never heard of, read about, or witnessed 
an act of violence against women carried out by anybody in a moment of peace. So if peace makes violence against women go away, maybe we should focus on peace. Maybe we should develop peace. Maybe we should cultivate peace. And it's true. When I'm in peace, then Mexicans are okay, right? Or when I'm in peace, it's okay for there to be different people with different skin colors or people with different genders or people with different ages or people with different cultures or people with different dress codes, right? Or people with different daily habits. It's all okay. Because when I feel content, I don't have to have an opinion about everything and I don't have to try to force everybody to believe the same BS that isn't working for me. So why would I do that? The cure to most of those issues on the planet is reconnection to self for each individual. And if 8 billion people do that, this is going to be a very fine planet to live on. And the cleanup won't take long. But we will not do that if we don't first clean ourselves up. It starts from the core of our being, and from there we can affect the world, influence the world, change what we do, and model change for others. Now, is this reconnection, and I want to tie a couple of things that you've mentioned already. You spoke at the beginning about your book, Total Sexy Health, and the eight steps that you detail there. Is that reconnection part of those steps? Yes, it's the first, second, and third of the eight parts. One is called internal awareness, one is called life energy, and one is called inspiration. Those three are the most neglected parts because they're the internal parts. We pay some attention to our thinking, maybe not enough. We pay some attention to the body, and then the rest of it is all outside world. Well, who is it that's creating that outside world? Look, if I'm in peace, if I feel peace, then I see peace everywhere in the world because peace has always been everywhere in the world. But the thing is, only peace knows that. So if I can't see peace in the world, it's because peace is not looking, right? That same world, if I'm angry, I'll see enemies. If I'm afraid, I'll see danger. If I'm a thief, I'll see only the places where I can steal something. Our identity, our sense of ourselves, not only creates our perception, but it actually also creates a world. So you want a world in peace? You need to be peace. And then your behavior into the world will be behavior that comes from peace. And if you want to create an angry world, then just be angry. Right? And then you beat up on people, and then they'll get angry, and then they'll beat up on people, and then you can create a world where everybody beats up on everybody. The world seems to be doing well on that front. We've done too well on that part. We've not done much to create a world of peace by bringing our awareness to the peace that we are. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned this because in other episodes, and normally we talk more about physical health, obviously, here in the show and, and with my background, what we deal with. But one of the first steps that I always tell people, and it doesn't matter what kind of thing they want to improve their health about, it's usually not about doing something as opposed to stop doing something else. They're causing this unto themselves, right? And the problem that we identify, or one of the big things that I place a lot of attention on, is to be aware. 
we are not aware of what we're putting in our mouth. We're not aware of what we're watching on TV, what we're listening to, what we're speaking, what we're seeing, what we're doing. And basically what you're saying is that because we're also not aware of ourselves, of what we're looking for, of our own fulfillment. And I totally agree with you. You think that that has got to be the very first step. And what's interesting about that is that there's good research that shows that when you do take the inner journey, and you do relax, and you do get in touch with what's indestructible in you, you actually reverse aging without doing anything else. Why? Because you're getting rest. You know, we're living in a time where it's like, work hard, work hard, do whatever it takes. Go, 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 right? Get ahead. Competition. Yeah, you know, and everybody who's motivational is saying, do more, do more, do more. Then if they're smart, they say, oh, yes, and play hard, too. And what I add to that is say, and do nothing hard too, because that's your balance. Because the do, do, do turns you into do, do. You get burned out, right? That's the big burnout with all the stuff that we get motivated and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and push ourselves to do. There has to be a balance between the incessant doing, complete inactivity. And in that complete activity, we get our rejuvenation. We get better insights. Our lives become easier because we don't have to retrace our steps because we screw stuff up. Because in the time you spend with yourself, you also get to organize your day. So you're not doing, oh, you go over there, but you also have to go over there. Oh, and then you got to go over there again. And then your time is not effectively spent. So people sometimes say, well, I don't have an hour to spend by myself doing nothing every day. And I say, no, yeah, actually, it'll save you two hours of screwing up your schedule because you actually got it organized before you got it. It's kind of like that Indian proverb that says that you only need to meditate and you need to sit down and meditate for 10 minutes unless you don't have time, in which case you need to meditate for an hour. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't heard that, but that's, yeah, for sure. Yeah, this whole idea, I don't have time. You know, in meditation, you're in the timeless there's no time in the place where your deepest being lives. You know, now that you brought it up, I was probably for many years that exact same thing you just described. And it's all about, okay, let's work hard and hard and hard. And now's the time to really hustle. And now I need to do this and sleeping three or four hours a night and going seven days a week and so on and so forth. And one of the most empowering things that I started doing at some point because of a mentor was I started both meditating. And I started also journaling and planning my day. So I started, like Jim Rohn says, and you know, you never start your day until you've finished it on paper, right? And that for me has been profound. I mean, the amount of things that you're able to achieve and suddenly you realize that, oh my God, I, have, I got time for everything, or at least the things that are important. And sure, I'm not doing everything. And now you're using your mind for what it was meant to be used for as a servant to your life instead of random musings. Yeah, and of course, you cannot accomplish everything, but you get one thing that is very, very important. And now I tie it with what you just shared with us, and it is peace of mind, that you realize, you know what? I did everything that was important today. And I took care of myself, and it was a great day. Sure, I didn't accomplish a million things, but I did the things that mattered. So, so far, we've touched upon three of the eight steps. What are the other five? Okay, so the internal three, internal awareness, life energy, and inspiration. Number four is the body, and that's food and fitness, 
and rest and detox and digestion and then activity, obviously, right? So that one is where most of the energy goes when people talk about health, but they're completely missing the foundation when they only focus on that. Then the next one is survival smarts. And that is a combination. That's a mental thing based on feeling confidence, which is another thing that comes from the internal three. Confidence plus skills. So it's good to have survival skills for those things that can possibly happen as crisis where you live. If you're living on the side of an active volcano, it's probably a good idea if you move, right? Or if you live under the high tide mark in a house, you know, well, that's crazy. People wouldn't do that. But if you live under the mark where a tidal wave would hit, maybe you should build your house above that place where the tidal wave hits, right? Or maybe if you live in a place that's given to floods, maybe you can build dams and slow down the flow of water. Or you can have a dinghy so that in case it really floods, you can just go in the dinghy and go for a ride, right? Or if fire is an issue, know how to use your fire equipment. Or if earthquakes are an issue, build your house in a way that survives the earthquake. Or know what you need to do. Or know where is someplace safe to go. Or have enough food around that you can live a week, food and water. It's actually water is even more important than food, that you can live a week without external water while you're waiting for rescue and all of that stuff. So there are things in survival that are useful to know. And there are two pieces to it. One is to be content and confident. And the second one is to actually learn the skills. Well, that's not any different than learning job skills. Everybody knows that that's important. Then there's the social group. Social group is about On the one hand, you want to belong because you don't belong to yourself or life yet. But then you give up your freedoms and your uniqueness to the group. And then the group expects you to cover their back, to have their back, so to speak, even when they do things that should be exposed and should not be happening. And then you create weak groups if your commitment is not to truth, but to people, right? And the group will put pressure on you. So that can make you sick too. And then the next one is the environment, nature, what we've done to it, but also nature has 99% resources and 1% danger. On the one hand, you want to be grateful. And on the other hand, you need to have respect for nature. It's powerful. And then the last one is the big picture that you live in a terminal condition, a little guy, little girl in an infinite universe and to be okay with the fact that your time, your physical time here is temporary. And then out of all of that comes, what do you want to do? I want to be fully present in all of my being and my surroundings all at the same time. That's called mastering what the master's master. And I don't want to be lost in my head in random thoughts. And then when you live like that, because number one purpose of life is not to accomplish houses and money and all of that stuff, not even kids. The number one purpose of life is that you were given this incredible gift, and if you don't fully enjoy this gift, it's a wasted gift because nobody else can enjoy it for you. It's not selfish to do that either, because that is your primary purpose. When all is said and done, how was your life? How much of what your life had in it? were you able to get in touch with and enjoy.
And to me, that's purpose enough. And then everything else, look, you help an old lady across the street, you know, and you go and eat when you're hungry and you do something that helps everybody. That's your contribution. And you do have to make some contribution to where you're living. That's just part of the fact that you're not alone on the planet, right? But in terms of your primary purpose, to be in that good space. And out of that good space, everything else becomes easy and you can be helpful and you don't ha always have to get something back and you don't have to go on strike because, you know, somebody didn't notice that you did a nice thing, you know, and it's like... And we go back to what you said at the beginning that some people might say, well, no, the purpose of life is to enjoy and to have a family and to care for them and to raise your children. But in reality, if you take good care of yourself, respecting yourself and enjoying this gift that you have to the maximum, and you can empower, I'm thinking right now, if I can somehow also empower and teach these things to my kid, then he'll take care of himself. Well, you know what? When I fulfill my purpose, I show up in a certain way. I model that for everybody that is around. If I don't do that, I will close that off for my kids. When I'm fully present, by the way, I'm also more attractive. And, you know, I'm 77 and I still get proposition, right? Why is that? Not because I'm so young, obviously, but because there's an energy around it. There's an energy around being fully present. And it's an attractive energy because everybody has that energy and unconsciously or subconsciously, they want to live in that energy. And if they can't, then they'll gravitate towards people who do. And if then you can help them get to that in themselves, you'll have a relationship that will never end. Same thing with the kids, right? Because the kids get lost in the world. What if they had a model as a parent of someone who had gotten lost, found themselves again, and now lived present in their own life? They will grow up confident. They will find learning easy. They won't be always wondering, why am I screwed up? They won't have to do all kinds of really crazy things trying to figure out where to find that thing that they can't find because something in them is calling for it. Thirst of the heart is the call of the heart to come back home to life in the kids too. And that starts early. And so from that perspective, there is no downside to being fully present in your life. You give more, you shine more, you feel better, you look better, you do better, everything's better. And if you think about it, you know, if everybody, 8 billion people on the planet lived fully present in their lives, this planet would be glowing. We're wired for that. We're just not looking into that wiring, but we are all wired for that experience. There's something that you've probably been asked about with a huge amount of people that you've spoken to, but isn't this mentality, isn't this quest a bit selfish? They, yeah, yeah, that's what they say. You know who says that? All the people who want you to serve their agenda. That's very simple, right? And it's not selfish because it's a gift that was given to you personally just like it was given to me personally. If you don't enjoy it and I don't enjoy it, the gift is wasted because nobody else can enjoy that gift for us. So it becomes wasted. So we are wasting our lives because we are not fully present in them. Because you only get, you know, it's tick, 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 right? You've got four billion years of dust and water. 
Then you get 100 years as a human being. Then you get 4 billion years of dust and water. In that 100 years, it's going tick, 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 tick. Are you enjoying yourself yet? Tick, 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 tick. Are you enjoying yourself? Can you enjoy yourself more? Tick, 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 tick. What are you doing to enjoy yourself? Tick, tick, tick. Why are you upset? Tick, 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 tick. Why are you angry about everything? Tick, 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 tick. Why do you feel empty and you're not actually going to the place where you feel full? Tick, 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 tick. Right? And that's the life. And so it's not selfish. No, it, it would be foolish to not do it. And I also say sometimes when people say that, I say, listen, I think people are not selfish enough because if you were really selfish, you would do what is really good for you, which is to get fully present. And then that would be good for everybody else too, because you would begin to model what it's like. If you want to call it selfish, I'm okay with that. It's a good selfish. Yeah. In a way, that's even kind of paradoxical because by being selfish and focusing on being fully present, you're benefiting those around you. Yeah. And then you become selfless. Because it's not about you anymore. It's not about you getting anymore. Because you got it. And then literally, you then, because I don't have to spend time trying to get my needs taken care of like I used to do and all these crazy ideas. I had some pretty crazy ideas. Right? I actually have more time for people. I actually have more time to give. I actually have more time for selfless. And because I feel taken care of, it's not always a horse trade. I don't always have to. I'll only do it if I get something back. I'll do it because it needs to be done. Hey, I don't know how that can be a bad thing. Yeah, not at all. I was just, you know, just as we were talking, kind of like trying to come up with things. Because the funny thing is whenever you try to help someone, and if I, from my position as a physician, I always find it hard to kind of like promote change because people are very quick to figure out the reasons why they cannot do that, right? And they're quick to what I always say that, people like to hear good things about their bad habits. So they will always kind of like remember, oh, no, no, but I cannot exercise because the other doctor told me that it's bad for my knees and the other thing. So I was kind of like trying to find what somebody might say. And I'm sure that you have all the possible comebacks after all these years doing this. Yeah, it's a joke. Even as a kid in your family, sometimes when they call you selfish, it's because they want you to be doing something else that is, helps them. The church that wants to own your soul, which is like that in itself is a contradiction. The church that wants to own your soul tells you it's not okay to master what the master's mastered. It's not okay for you to spend time inside, quiet, enjoying what it feels like to be alive, even though that's the gift you were given to enjoy. But then they put a whole other spin on it. And oh, no, no, it's no, it's sacrilege for you to think you could master what the master's mastered. And you shouldn't do that. And, you know, the devil comes disguised as an angel of light. So don't believe anybody who says that, you know. And then we just get so mind, you know what, <laughs> right? But the truth is, you were given life, not by the church, but by the universe. So make your body your temple, worship God inside, because it's there. And the master is in you. Life is the master. Everything weighs nothing, runs everything, is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent in your body. That's the definition of God. And the way you put it regarding our own life, I think it's beautiful. I had never thought of it that way. But looking at our life as a precious gift, which only we are able to enjoy. That's it. No matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we love the people around us, 
we cannot share part of our lives with them. We cannot say, you know what? I don't feel like living 120. That's what I was supposed to get. So I'll give 20 years to my wife and I'll give 15 years of enjoyment to my kid. So I think looking at it that way is profoundly, is beautiful, really. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. So before we wrap things up as well, this show's mission is to educate and empower really the everyday person, kind of like what you do at so many different levels. But what we try to do is empower them with tools and the strategies to take control of their health, to prevent disease. And so I always like to ask our guests to share their top two or three pieces of actionable advice to achieve this. So in your opinion, based on what you've shared with us, what would be your top two or three recommendations for that person listening to us right now who just heard about this thirst of the heart and about finding fulfillment within themselves? What do you think that as soon as they pull their car over and not do anything silly while driving, what are the top two or three things that they can start doing? I would say the first one is make time to sit with yourself. And if you feel the heartache or the thirst of the heart, If you feel that, be with it, stay with it, feel it, accept it, embrace it. Maybe even be grateful for it because it's the greatest gift you've been given other than being alive because it is your heart calling your awareness to come back home to yourself, to life. That's, I would say, the first one. And do that every day, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, on weekends, take an hour. So do that first. If you get to a point where you say, I'm doing it, but there's still something that I'm not getting, then find someone who can help you. There are people who know their way around it. They're not government employees, generally speaking. They're not in our educational institutions, generally speaking. They basically live in the world and help people who ask for that help. The really good ones don't charge that would be one way to qualify them. If you're a fake student, you will find a fake master. So be a real student, be sincere. If you really want to know what you need, you will find what you need to be able to take that journey. So that's the first thing. The second thing is think of yourself as a creature made by nature and in nature. So in everything that you do, Look at what it means to live in line or live aligned with nature. So, for instance, when it comes to food, life's mandate for every creature was fresh, whole, raw, organic. For the food, right? Fresh, whole, raw, organic. So fresh, whole, raw, organic is the direction that you ought to aim from wherever you are right now and whatever you're doing and however you're eating. Head in that direction. If you're frying, go to boiling in water. If you're boiling in water, go to raw. Frying is the worst thing we've ever invented to do to food, and it increases inflammation, and it increases cancer, and it's behind many of our degenerative conditions. Processing is the big no-no, because every time we process foods, we don't make them better. We make them worse. Live aligned with nature in whichever way you can. Go barefoot on the lawn, you know, take your clothes off and get some sunshine on your butt, and then be active. Be active, but you don't have to join a gym. You know, be active. Just be active, do stuff, you know, play. Play, you know, try things out. Do things you've never done before. 
and there's always a big learning curve at the front, but always be doing something that you're new at and become good at it. And if you do those three things, you've got a lot going. Certainly, certainly. Now, Udo, while this has been an incredible conversation and one that I have profoundly enjoyed, unfortunately, all good things must come to an end. But before we say goodbye, I want to take a moment to acknowledge you, not only for your generosity in spending this time here with us, but for your life's work and for positively impacting so many people around the world throughout your career. So thank you. Yeah, I'm just getting started. I'm after 8 billion. Oh, that's great to hear. One last question, though. You have a good time in the Highway to Health. Yes, I am enjoying the Highway to Health. I am definitely on it. I'm straddling the white line, but there are not very many people on it, so that's okay. Good, good. Well, let's try to get a lot more. (laughs) Get more on it, then I'll drive on the right side. (laughs) Sounds great. So for everyone else, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Dr. Ian Udo Erasmus. As always, if you have any questions about what we discussed in this episode, make sure to use the link in this episode description to ask them. Thank you for listening to Dr. E's Highway to Health show, helping you learn the science of living ageless. Did you enjoy the show? Please like, share, and subscribe where you listen to podcasts. Dr. E wants to hear from you. Go to dre.show. Again, that's dre.show. Until next time, this is Dr. E's Highway to Health, helping you live ageless. And that was my conversation with Udo Erasmus. I hope you enjoyed listening to it, and more importantly, you found it valuable in these times. As usual, I'd love to know what was your favorite takeaway. Tag me on Instagram or connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you think. By the way, remember that you can find the links to everything we discussed in this episode in the show notes. You scroll down to this episode's description on your podcast app and tap on the appropriate link. Speaking of links, remember to check out podcastinbox.co for all your podcasting needs. If you're a busy entrepreneur looking to grow a personal brand and still trust in your clients, there is no better way to do it than with a podcast. To learn how the team at Podcast in the Box can help you do just that, simply head on over to podcastinbox.co and find out more. And if you already have a podcast but find it hard and time-consuming to keep up, they can help with that as well. Seriously, and well, I might be a little bit biased here, but they're amazing. Just head on over to podcastinbox.co and let them know that Dr. E sent you. That is it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You've been listening to Udo Erasmus and Dr. E talk about love, peace, and the thirst of the heart. Thank you for tuning in. I'll see you here next week. And remember, you are on the highway to health, and I'm your guide to get you there.